Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, na'hamaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem, amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing on Sheikh Kandelvi's book, uh, uh, this is class number 10. And now we are on page 11, doing belief of Ahl sunnah about the companions, radiallahu anhu. <coughs> Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah writes in Al-Aqidat Al-Wasitiyah. Yeah, al One of the fundamental rules of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, people of the prophetic, prophetic way in the majority of scholars, is that their hearts and tongues are pure about the companions, radiallahu anhum. The Blessed Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Never criticize my companions, radiallahu anhum. I swear by he in whose hands is my life, and one of you spending gold equal to Mount Uhud in the path of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, will not equal one mud. 1.7 pounds, or even of half of mud of gold, they spent in the path of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. The Ahl the Sunnah or Jama'ah accepts whatever the Quran, Sunnah, and consensus say about the companions of the Allah Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala said to the companions of the Allah of Badr, "Go do whatever you wish. I have forgiven you. We accept this and believe that all the companions of the Allah who took the bay'ah of Hudaybiyah will not enter into the fire as narrated by in the Hadith." A hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them and they are pleased with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Approximately 1400 companions of the Allah on whom took bay'ah at Hudaybiyah. Yeah, so uh, again, this is, uh, I think for our purposes, it's, it's very, very straightforward. And the key point to take from this is how superior in Iman uh, the companions are, right? It's saying you could spend gold equal the mountain of Mount Ohad and it's not going to equal one mud. One mud is basically um, kind of like the size of how much you can fill in a kufi. Um, and or even half of a mud of gold uh, in terms of what they spent in the way of Allah. And yeah, there are, as we said, there are also different stages of the companions or different classifications, those of Badr, those of Hudaybiyah, etc. And many of the, of the companions of Badr are also companions of, the, of Hudaybiyah. Yeah. <coughs> the Ahl al Jama'ah does not concern itself with the internal conflicts Mushajarat of the companions of the As for the narrations which cause the companions of the of wrongdoing, which accuse them of wrongdoing, which accuse the companions uh, of wrongdoing, many of them are lies, uh, are lies, while others are fabrications. As for the mistakes mentioned in authentic narrations, the companions are excused in this regard. They are either correct or mistaken in their ijtihad. Despite this, the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah does not believe they were infallible. As humans, they were susceptible to sin. So this will get explained a little bit more. But like, for example, in class, we talked about things like the Battle of the Camel, the Battle of Safin, and such. And so one point to take from that is that there was no disagreement on matters of aqidah. And one of the greatnesses of the companions is that the battles did not result in new aqidahs being formed. Mm-hmm. Right? That's something that's very easy to overlook. And it's very, very serious. America, one of its sort of successes is that after the Civil War, it became reunited politically, right? Um, but it still has never been reunited on other terms, right? The same regions that were the slave states are the same regions which today and for the last few elections have been voting to the right, mm-hmm. right? And, and that also seems to be the same regions that are protesting or rebelling against the, the urban uh, north, right? Uh, whereas uh, for us... There's been very much fragmentation over the years in terms of politics. Uh, Aqidah has, has remained, the core has remained the same, although there have been splinter groups, right? But with the companions, they had the same Aqidah. 
Though they were susceptible to sin, their excellence in deen was such that is uh, that if they sinned, it would be forgiven, <coughs> including the sins that are not forgiven for later people. This is because they possess such virtue that erase their sins in which in which was not to be observed in the people after them. And even if they committed a sin, they surely repented for it or eliminated it, eliminated it through good deeds. Another another reason is that they were the pioneers of Islam, which is sufficient reason to gain forgiveness, or that they have secured the intercession of the Blessed Prophet since they are most worthy of it. A third reason is that persecution and poverty and many other such hardships wiped out their sins. So the key thing that's being stated here is that yes, they committed sin, right? Uh, They were not masum, they were not sin-free. But using a whole bunch of different ways to approach it, it's fair to assume that there is forgiveness of them taking place, right? And so the key point to make it palatable for for a modern audience is the understanding that they were human and had many of the the challenges that a human has that a normal, that a prophet, peace be upon him, who is also human, does not have. Um, uh, But they were, uh, there was such an abundance of doing good or facing persecution or seeking forgiveness that, inshallah, they were uh, forgiven. <clears throat> All the above reasons relate to those sins about which it is known that they committed. As for the mistakes in their ishtihad, it is clear that if they were correct, they will earn two rewards, and if they were mistaken, they will still gain one reward, while the mistake will be forgiven. As if, uh, as is true for all mujtahids com- com- uh, capable of independent juridical reasoning. So, so this is a hadith you've heard, right? Like if uh, a judge is making a uh, uh, a judgment, if the person has the right answer, then they'll get double reward. If they get the wrong answer, they're still getting rewarded for having put in the effort. Right? So what's being emphasized especially is put in the effort. Uh, but what's also to take from this is that if the Sahaba were doing something wrong in terms of opinion, they'd be called out by other Sahaba. Right? If they're doing something and they're not being called out by the other Sahaba, then you can assume that it's probably okay. So we usually call this the, the fatawa of the Sahaba. That's why, like, if you look in, you know, the books of Hadith, you have Hadith, which is primarily anything that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, did, or witnessed, seeming to give approval. Then you have what we call Athar, which is referring to the companions in the same way. But you don't find very much about the companions because it seems that they did more or less what the Prophet, peace be upon him, did. It was more of use when the companions did something different. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in the case of Omar. Like, during his rule, he would do a number of things that were different than the Prophet, peace be upon him, so that was noteworthy. Mm-hmm. If he did something wrong from the perspective of deen, from the perspective of iman or aqidah, he would have been called out by the other sahaba. Mm-hmm. Right? And there are moments where he is being corrected. There's a famous case where he is speaking and a woman in the masjid corrects him right? about, <coughs> about her meher. And then Omar says, yes, Omar has been corrected by, by this woman. So that does happen. Right? And so if they are not being corrected, then it's fair to assume that what they're doing is still Correct. And so Islam is not coming just from the Prophet, peace be upon him, meaning the Prophet and the Quran, it's coming the Prophet, including the Quran and the Sahaba. <coughs> Thus the objections uh, yeah. Yeah. Thus the objections raised against them do not compare to their virtues and accomplishments, their no- noble attributes, their strong faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his blessed Prophet, their struggle in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their migration, 
their unflinching support of the Blessed Prophet ﷺ, their greatness of knowledge, and their right, righteous deeds. Those who study the biographies of companions, or the Allah on him, with clear insight and knowledge, recognize recognizing the beautiful qualities Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them, will know they hold the highest sta uh, station after the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There, there will be none like them, before or after them. They are the best of those chosen from the, this community. So this is fascinating that Sheikh Khandalvi is quoting Ibn Taymiyyah. Because Ibn Taymiyyah, for a lot of people, is a very controversial figure, right? Um, Ibn Taymiyyah himself is, in, is from the, an offshoot of the Hanbali madhab, uh, and he is still highly respected for being a gigantic scholar. Um, and he's one of those scholars that kind of is in a class of his own, and, and is himself a blessing to the Ummah because he's in a class by himself, because he does things very, very differently. Uh, and, and so often you will see people who are hardcore about, about the four madhabs um, who may disagree with Ibn Taymiyyah on some things will still quote him and will still uh, pay him respects as a major scholar, right? Uh, in, other, in other firqas, uh, Shias and other groups, um, he's, he's very, very... Um, um, he's a source of a lot of pain, mm. yeah. Um, but like I said, in Sunni thought, you'll find many Sunnis who actually don't like him. Many among the Sufis will not like Ibn Taymiyyah at all. Uh, but in terms of the, the general hardcore people of the Madhabs, <coughs> he's still accorded a significant amount of respect. And so it's fascinating that he's being quoted in this book. Yeah. Uh, right. Sheikh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, Taymiyyah spoke the truth about the companions of the Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises them repeatedly in the Quran. And many ayahs were revealed that prove the forgiveness of the companions of the Allah for all their sins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم والذين تبوأوا الدار والإيمان من قبلهم يحبون من هاجر إليهم ولا يجدون في صدورهم حاجة مما أوتوا ويؤثرون على أنفسهم ولو كان بهم خصاصة ومن يوقشح نفسه فأولئك هم المفلحون the spoils that are captured without war is for those who established themselves in the homeland of Medina and in faith before the former ones who emigrated to Medina, who have love for their uh, for those who emigrated to them and do not feel in their hearts any ambition for what is given to the former ones from Fa'i and given preference to them over themselves, even though they are in poverty. And those who are saved from the greed of their hearts are the successful. In another ayah, he says, فَالَّذِينَ هَاجَرُوا وَأُخْرِجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ وَأُوذُوا فِي سَبِيلِي وَقَاتَلُوا وَقُتِلُوا لَأُكَفِّرَنَّ عَنْهُمْ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ وَلَأُدْخِلَنَّهُمْ جَنَّاتٍ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارِ ثَوَابًا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ عِنْدَهُ حُسْنُ الثَّوَابِ so those who emigrated and were expelled from their homes and were tortured in my way and fought and were killed, I shall certainly write off their evil deeds and shall certainly admit them into gardens beneath which rivers flow. As a reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with whom lies the beauty of the reward. Okay, mashallah. So, so both these eyes are illustrating what? All these different people are forgiven. All these different people are protected. And so this would be used as proof uh, for... The, the forgiveness of the companions. Yeah, and continue. Many ayahs similar to the one above inform about the forgiveness of the companions or the Allah for all their sins. In this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I will surely forgive them for all their sins. But as the Urdu saying goes, 
Um, yeah, you can do the translation. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like Mudai Sus Gawachust. The witness seeks justice while the plaintiff with, has withdrawn his claim. Okay, let's try to make sense of that. Uh -huh. uh, the witness seeks justice while the plaintiff has... Uh, yeah, you got me. All right, let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> the foolish ones amongst us still relish finding faults in the companions of the Allah saying they were sinful, they were this and that, and other such statements. So, built in deeper than this is that we're speaking about an adab in speaking about the companions, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there are things that you can learn from uh, how the companions did things. Mm -hmm. And think about it the way a person is appropriately speaking about their parents, right? That's a type of critique. Like if a student comes along and is crit criticizing their parents um, right from the start, that speaks more to me about the student than it does about the parents, mm -hmm. right? It's different if they open up to me after a while, then they start sharing these, these uh, points about their parents. But... Some people right from the start will be insulting their parents. And that's really, really bad manners and speaks more about the person. Mm -hmm. Likewise, in terms of how people <clears throat> speak about the companions, um, gives you a sense of like where they are and such. And so the easiest way to think about this, they're beloveds of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And that in itself is very, very huge. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's continue to this next section, criticizing the companions. <clears throat> The Blessed Prophet said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I declare war on whoever makes my friend Wali his enemy. Moreover, the Blessed Prophet said, Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Regarding my companions, do not make them the target of your objections. Whosoever loves my companions, loves them because he loves me. And whosoever hates them, hates them because he hates me. Mm -hmm. Whosoever hurts my companions, radiallahu anhu, hurts me. And whosoever hurts me, hurts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whosoever hurts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the time is near when he will be in the clutch of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. That's, that's pretty straightforward mm -hmm. again. Right? And that's how close the companions are to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. Okay, Dhahabi. Dhahabi is one of the gigantic scholars of, of Islamic history. He's especially a scholar in compiling and critiquing information. Mm -hmm. But let's see what he says. The Habi says, only those who have read the biographies of the companions radiallahu anhum will know their lofty status, their progression in deen, their struggle against the disbelievers kuffar, their propagation of deen, their declaration of Islam and raising the banner of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his blessed prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and their knowledge of the obligatory acts and the sunnahs of the blessed prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam within his lifetime and after his demise. If they, are, if they had not believed the fundamental and... If they had not lived. Oh, if they have not lived the fundamental and... The fundamental and ancillary sciences would not have reached us. Without the companions or the Allah whom we would be ignorant of the obligatory acts and the sunnahs, and we would have no knowledge of the ahadith of the Blessed Prophet and the details of his life. Therefore, whosoever den uh, denigrates their status leaves the fold of Islam and is deviated from the path of the Muslims. When one denigrates them, it is because of the hatred he harbors in his heart and the grudge that he has created, he is created, that is created by his condemnation of the companions, This denigration is a sign that he rejects the ayahs which extol their high status. It is also a sign that he rejects the love of the Blessed Prophet had for the companions and the Blessed Prophet praise and mention of their lofty status in the ahadith. Another reason a denigrator leaves the fold of Islam is because the companions are the most reliable and respected narrators of the narrations of the Blessed Prophet Denigration of the narrator is necessary, necessarily denigration of the one being narrated from. 
These words can only be of benefit for those uh, for the one who thinks, tries to understand, and whose belief is not darkened by hypocrisy, hypocrisy and heresy. Everything the Blessed Prophet wasallam said in praise of the com- in praise of the companions anhum in the ahadith should suffice for anyone. For example, Anas radiallahu an narrates that com- some companions radiallahu anhum complained to the Blessed Prophet wasallam people speak ill about us. To which the Blessed Prophet wasallam replied, "The curse of Allah subhanahu wa taala, His angels, and all of mankind is upon he who speaks ill about my companions radiallahu anhum." In another place, Anas radiallahu an narrates the Blessed Prophet wasallam said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose me and chose the companions radiallahu anhum for me and made them friends, brothers, and relations to me. In the future, a people will not, will come who will, a people who will, a people will come who will criticize and denigrate them. Do not eat or drink with them. Do not marry them. Do not pray with them. And do not pray the funeral, funeral prayer upon them. That's pretty heavy duty, mm-hmm. right? And this is uh, continuing the point of how important uh, the, the companions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is just very, very straightforward. Yeah. Uh, let's continue. The Habi narrates many other similar narrations in his book, Kitab al-Kaba'ir, and quotes many scholars as saying that those who blaspheme the companions, anhum, find faults in them, publicize their sins, or attribute attribute any ignoble act of or statement towards them is a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. Um so, Justin, I'm pretty sure we covered this before, but just to refresh. So, like, when it comes to, like, um, the Shias who, like, kind of, like, go against, like, or, like, really con- condemn the companions of the Allah So is there a sense within, like, this paradigm? Like, so, some people will interpret this last narration as referring to groups like the Shia, right? Uh, I distinguish between those Shias who do criticize the companions and those who don't, mm-hmm. right? Um, there are some Shias who, who are very, very... Uh, obnoxious, I think we mentioned about Abu Bakr and Omar, yeah. right? And this is how this is how firm the instructions are regarding them. You know, don't eat with them, don't marry them, don't pray with them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, don't pray the funeral prayer over them. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of general Shias, in my experience, uh, they don't really get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Allah is best. <clears throat> this brief book cannot cover all the mistakes which has which has been said about those who criticize or publicize the mistakes and sins of the companions of the Allah. The narrations about the gardens of Fadak never made me resent the companions of the Allah. I heard many objections but always thought, how could the daughter of the Blessed Prophet who spent her life grinding grain in a grinding mill and bruised her body carrying water skins become a slave of the material world and boycott the uh, Khalifa uh, Sayyidina Abu Bakr for a petty thing of this material world. My heart was always pure about this issue and other contentious issues that arose amongst the uh, companions of the Allah. In my view, it was simply a manifestation of their strength of faith. Okay, so so to give you a little bit of background, uh, this Fadak issue is, there's a couple readings. One relates to a, a small plot of land and another uh, another reading relates to a lamp that uh, when Abu Bakr was the Khalifa, the, the Prophet, peace be upon him, is reported to have said that you know, his family cannot inherit from him. And so Abu Bakr is, is laying claim to these things. And in ca- the case of the lamp, that's when it's reported that uh, Abu Bakr and Omar slam the door open and it hits uh, Fatima hard, uh, so hard that, uh, that she dies a few months after. Right? Um, in Sunni thought, that is disagreed upon. Right? And part of the argument that he's giving is that she would not have any issue giving it away. 
right. And Elena's best. <coughs> How could an evil trait like greed take control of Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu an, Sayyidina Ali, Ali radiallahu an, and Sayyidina Abbas radiallahu an, especially when their servants and servants servants were far from ignoble traits. All the wars that took place between the companions who demonstrated the strength of their deen, knowledge, and belief. Regarding the Fadak issue, the disagreement between Sayyidina Fatima and Sayyidina Abu Bakr was juridical, which led the companions to disagree as to whether there is inheritance in the Blessed Prophet's wealth or not. <coughs> Sayyidina Umar and Sayyidina Abu Bakr believed that believed believe the hadith, we do not leave inheritance, was a general rule that applied to all Muslims, whereas Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an, and Sayyiduna Fatima radiallahu an, and Sayyiduna Abbas radiallahu an, believed it was it addressed a specific group of people. The matter of Fadak was, typical, was, typical, was a typical example of disagreement in interpretation of the hadith and knowledge of the Sharia. Sayyid, Sayyiduna uh, Sayyida Fatima radiallahu anha refused, uh, an has refusal to speak to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu Regarding the issues of the gardens of Fadak, means that she never spoke to him again about uh, about these tracts of land. Hafiz ibn Hajar al Asqalani mentions this point in Fatul uh, Bari and narrates many hadith in support of this view. This is also the opinion of many respected commentators of hadith books. The opinion, uh, the opinion of this person, i.e., the author, is that it was not love for wealth but adherence to the Sharia which brought Fatima radiallahu an to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu an uh, Fatima radiallahu anha to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr radiallahu an because she believed that he had that uh, be, she believed she had a legal right over that wealth this is why she was angry and stopped talking to him in my opinion this was her firmness in deen it also explains why Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu an and Sayyiduna Abbas radiallahu an both appealed in their case in Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu an's caliphate caliphate yeah, keep on. Uh, they hoped that he might decide in their favor, though Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an agreed and Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu an, uh, Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an in this matter and upheld his decision. Okay, one important point that should be added to this paragraph, mm -hmm. it's saying that she, she stopped talking to him, but she died only a few months later, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, this, is, this would be a very, very short period of not speaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very easy to misread this and think that for 20 years she didn't, she didn't talk to him. But she dies literally within a couple months after Abu Bakr becomes a Khalifa. Yeah. <clears throat> Many essential aspects of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were being demonstrated practically in the per, uh, period of the first three caliphs. Once uh, these issues came to a close and the period of the first three caliphs ended, the community needed to be instructed on another issue, which was demonstrated in the time of the last uh, caliph, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an. This was the issue of the op opposition to the Khalif, to complete the deen. All of these issues had to be fully demonstrated within the period of the rightly gu uh, guided Khulafa, Khulafa al-Rashidun. Khulafa al-Rashidun. This is why it never occurred to me that maybe tribalism or love for wealth played some part in the internal internal conflicts of the companions of the Allahuan. If anything, it only proved the greatness and strength of their iman. They were firm on whatever they believed to be the truth and fought to defend it when forced to. This is why also I also looked upon a person who interpreted the actions and statements of the companions of the Allahuan as human weakness with indifference, as would anyone who has studied the books of a hadith in some depth. Okay, so again, continuing this point, that uh, this last big point he's making is that it does not seem to be the case that the companions were driven by worldly love, like wealth of the world. 
um, especially if you had the Prophet, peace upon him, in front of them. There's a famous case where after the conquest of Mecca, the Prophet, peace upon him, is giving all kinds of wealth to, to these new Muslims in Mecca. And the Muslims of Medina are saying, you know, we're struggling here and you're giving wealth to all them. And the Prophet, peace upon him, says, you have me, right? And he needed to do all those things to, to bring the community into cohesion, right? And so naturally they, became, they were pleased with him. Uh, any questions? Okay, again, a lot of material. Uh, let's stop right here then. So next time, inshallah, we'll start on page 16, the internal conflicts of the companions. All right, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastakfiruka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastakfiruka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastakfiruka natubi ilayk. Wa akhir ta'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alameen.